it's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to more agriculture conversations here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast in conjunction with the Western Ag Network. Thank you for joining us, whether that is on our video podcast platforms or on our audio podcasts as well. And I tell you what, friends, it has been a tough go the past few summers for so many farmers and ranchers across parts of Montana and the surrounding states with the plague that is grasshoppers. These little critters have been impacting our yields on our grain crops and, of course, on our pasture lands. And the big question is, what is 2023 going to be like? Well, we can talk about it at the bar, at the cafe, or at at our home uh, kitchen tables. But until we know exactly what's going on, you know, that's just talk. So that's why we're going to be bringing in one of those experts uh, that follows the grasshopper trends, the hatches and whatnot. We're, we're joined today by Gary Adams. He is the state plant health director for Montana with USDA APHIS and PPQ. Uh, uh, Gary, how, how are things going for you here today? Things are good. It's a good spring day. We wait for the, the rains this this later this week. So today's all right. Yep. Well, we were lucky enough to have a little bit of rain here at our place in, in north central Montana here this morning. The sun's finally peeking out a little bit to help this grass grow. But, uh, you know, Gary, as I, I mentioned, grasshoppers have been on the minds of so many producers uh, and they've been devastating i mean they've eaten crops they've I, i've seen pictures i've personally seen it they're eating the bark off of uh, trees uh, the enamel off of t-posts eating leather in our tack rooms on our saddles and gear um and uh it's put a lot of producers in pretty tough spots but uh, uh first off uh, i know you've been traveling the state and, and talking with producers uh, what 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 are we really going to be looking at here over the next year in terms of what the grasshoppers will look like in the coming weeks? Did the moisture and cold weather impact what that hatch may be? Uh, I guess uh, I'll kind of give you the floor. What, what What is the outlook for this year, Gary? I'll start with saying I don't know. However, you know, in 2019, we had a pretty cool wet spring, and I thought we were going to be got free as far as grasshoppers because previous to that they hadn't been very bad but that just uh, promoted enough grass growth for them to really populate and in the following two two or three years that we've had a lot of drought they just uh, were real impactful so the the cool wet spring that we've had so far isn't really going to tell us too much in in 2022 uh, my agency APHIS does a, a rangeland grasshopper survey statewide to try to determine how many adult grasshoppers are out there that could lay eggs that could hatch the following year, which would be this year. And and it still looks like we have a pretty significant amount of grasshoppers throughout the throughout Montana. Uh, it kind of moves where they're bad. Uh, a few years ago, they're in different places. In some places, it's the same. Uh, but we really won't know what the outlook is going to be like until we start watching uh, starting in June, probably. Anytime after Memorial Day, we we'll start seeing what's hatching, and and I would expect that we could still have a significant number of grasshoppers in, in 2023, but we won't know until we see the lights of their eyes, so to speak. 
Now, uh, Gary, as we look at that, though, uh, from last year's kind of projections on uh, and maybe maybe let's share how we count from the previous year based on what those projections could be and maybe jump into what some of those hot spots where those hot spots might be where treatments occurred, where treatments didn't occur in terms of trying to prevent uh, prevent those uh, grasshoppers from laying eggs uh, for well, let's maybe just uh, shed a little light on that aspect of it. So I, I pull up another slide here that just talks about the life cycle of the grasshoppers. And if you, if you know how butterflies mature, they are a caterpillar at one part of their life stage, and then they go into a cocoon or a chrysalis and come out a, looking like a whole different critter. The grasshoppers are grasshopper from start to finish, and they look like a grasshopper. So it's incomplete metamorphosis. And so starting in late May to early June, they'll hatch, and they're these little tiny, tiny little guys about the size of a grain of rice. And that's really where uh, I, I suggest that producers be out there looking, starting anytime after Memorial Day and to keep looking because they'll hatch over a period of time. But they'll they'll go through what we call five instars or five life stages. And uh, what they do is they shed their exoskeleton, which will be important if we start talking about some treatment methods. And then they get a little bigger and then they harden up again. So each one of these life stages, they shed their they're outside and then they grow a little bigger and then they harden up again until they become an adult and start laying eggs. So I think one of your questions was how do we survey for them, right? Yeah. I have a, a hour-long PowerPoint, which I don't want to bore you with, but I, I have some, uh, I'm not sure exactly where that slide is. I got to find it. So how we do a survey. So bear with me here for a second. I'm not sure where it is. So here's, here's exactly how, uh, how that does work. So we survey uh, for the number of grasshoppers per square yard, and that's kind of our our designation on, on populations out there. So we'll visualize a square foot in front of us, and then we'll walk towards that square foot, and we'll count the number of grasshoppers that jump out of it. If they jump in and jump back out, they don't count. They have to be there to begin with. So, and then we write that down and we repeat that 18 times. So you total up that number and you'll have the total number of grasshoppers in 18 square feet, which if you divide that by two is nine square feet, which is a square yard. So that's how we do it. So you want a representative sample of the entire area. So you do big horseshoe shape out through rangeland. Uh, these are rangeland surveys, not, not crapland surveys. You could do the same surveys in cropland. But, uh, that's how uh, that's how we survey for them, and we determine that. I have another slide here somewhere, but anywhere uh, eight and above could be economically impactful to the rangeland out there. Uh, we we generally, uh, our agency doesn't recommend treatments until you start seeing the teens or more in the yard. And I know there's places that have been 40, 50 per grasshoppers per yard, which is some of those uh, scenarios you talked about where they they eat everything and then they start going for the the uh, the shovel handles in the in the tack room so yeah uh, anything in the teens per square yard is is pretty impactful and you maybe could uh, benefit from some suppression activities what were what were the other questions you asked I want to make sure I get well well I guess uh, when when we look at that before we we maybe discuss what the treatment options are when's the best time maybe let's look at what the results from last year's survey look like what what are some of those hot spots that 
we can possibly expect once the hatch starts there at the end of May, moving into June. And just, just so producers, I, I think producers know if it's going to be there just based off of last year, but, and then maybe we could parallel how treatment really benefited some other areas of the state uh, when, when that uh, application took place. But I guess, what are some of those hotspot predictions? Could you could you pull the screen share off of there so you don't have to see me zip through a bunch of slides and I'll find some maps for you here. You gotta figure out where they are. Um, it's down there, it's down the way over here in my PowerPoint. So I'll I'll say a couple of things while I'm trying to find the maps is that uh, you know my agency conducts some programs, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. And and those programs in 2021 were significant. We we treated quite a number of acres, but but we're the only, you know, we're only one outfit that's treating out there. A lot of private landowners are treating on their own without, without our assistance. Uh, you can bring up my PowerPoint again now if you like. And uh, so what we do is this uh, adult survey every year. And then again, it's only on range and we don't look at cropland and it's only a snapshot. So we'll drive down the road between six and 10 miles and we'll stop and get out and try to count grasshoppers and then we'll get back in and drive down the road. So we, you know, there may be some hot spots that we miss or maybe we may, uh, you know, not see the whole picture. It's just a, a snapshot in time. And a, a week later, it could be a different story because they, they move in and out. So if, I'll just go through this really quick. So in 2017, we did this survey and this is what it looked like. Uh, this is what we predicted 2018 would be. And then in 2018, uh, we did a survey again and it was pretty accurate. But then we predicted what was going to happen in 2019. But if you remember at the beginning of the interview, I talked about how 19 was a cool wet spring and we thought we were out of it and then the grasshoppers hatched late there was plenty for them to eat and then it went into a drought period well they they loved that so in 2019 we started seeing the, all the red and orange areas are areas where there's a significant population to grasshoppers so orange is above eight per yard and red would be about 15 per yard and and you can see throughout parts of the the state they were starting to uh, grow and we predicted what was going to happen in 2020 and again remember that what happened what we count in one fall doesn't necessarily predict what's going to happen the next summer and in 2020 uh, it really exploded throughout eastern montana in particular so that was a that was a big year that's when people really started calling uh, my agency did some treatments uh, private landowners uh, did treatments on their own uh, again our program is just a rangeland program we don't we don't treat cropland and except for a few circumstances and then uh, and in 2021, we predicted what was going to happen in 2022, which or 2021, this is this is where it ended at 2021. But we did quite a, a bit of treatment down here in, in uh, the southeastern part of the state, in particular, a, a tiny bit up here in Phillips County. But uh, uh, you can see that it's still this is this is after the treatment period. This is when we were uh, counting grasshoppers in late summer, not when we treated. And so in Phillips County, they persisted there. And then part of the issue was that we, we had a, a plan to do some treatments in Phillips County. But if you remember uh, back in that year, they, they had a, a series of 104, 105 degree days in June, which is not normal. And it, it stopped the growth of all their grass. And, and so they made the decision that uh, there wasn't anything to save there. Uh, they, they needed to save that money they would use for treatments to purchase hay or or what have you, they actually sold off a lot of cattle. The extension agent who's no longer up there indicated that half the cattle in Phillips County was actually sold off that year. 
uh, at the end of that year because of the, the lack of forage that was available. But some of these other areas where we had treated uh, in 2020, we treated in this blue spot right here. You can see the population's a little bit lower. Uh, still some grasshoppers throughout uh, Powder River County, but uh, it was lower than what it was the previous year. And then, then last year, if you start uh, looking at some of our treatments, this blue is down in Wyoming where they did a, a lot of treatments. But you can also see where the populations did start to decrease in some of these areas where we did some treatments. Uh, we did no treatments in, in Custer County and they started to explode. Uh, in Garfield County, we had a lot of complaints on, uh, through the Fort Peck Reservation. Anyway, this is this is this survey, this map that you're looking at right now is a survey that we did through mid-July through August of 2022. And this is where we predict grasshoppers to be next year. Now I say this with a grain of salt because I did get calls uh, early last year all along the Rocky Mountain front uh, over in here, maybe which is close to where you are, uh, from people that had isolated spots. And we may or may not have picked up those populations when we did our roadside adult surveys, but we did go out and and uh, and do some surveys on behalf of those landowners when they called and we let them know what, what they had. So again, this is just a snapshot in time, but I think your original question is what's it gonna look like this coming year? We still expect that there's some populations where it's red here, where you could still see some significant uh, populations in the in the future here on the you see a big green dip here this is the uh, a lot of that's the Fort Belknap Reservation where we did do some treatments in 2021 and and the populations were lower but a lot of private landowners did their own treatments independent of anything that the USDA did and that that does have an impact as well so and again these are estimates their predictions we, we understand that aspect of things as well and uh, when when we look at that uh, obviously that could throw off the bell curve in a positive manner possibly with that private or the private application that landowners were doing as well so uh, are we expecting that it could be a little bit lower actual year for grasshoppers in certain parts of the state uh, but because i do know for sure in between belt and great falls where our where we're located we had a lot of grasshoppers show up last year and, and it impacted range conditions quite a bit. Could we see more of that over in this region where there wasn't a lot of past uh, 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 preventative measures put into place and uh, kind of in the red over there in eastern Montana? Uh, could, I, I guess that's a big, that's a question everybody's going to be uh, thinking about here for the next few weeks. Well, you know, that's interesting. You said between Belt and Great Falls, and for those familiar with Montana, that's in here and uh and that that didn't show up as anything red in there but you get you're telling me that there was a lot of grasshoppers so that's a good indicator where we're not a this map is in a, a perfect situation but my my answer to that is that yes i would i would there are years where i would i would sit back in my uh, chair and do other things that my agency does because grasshoppers really is only one little thing and uh and i would say that there is a, a significant potential for there to be continued grasshopper populations in 2023. So um, yeah, any place where there was red, you're talking about some places over in here where, where we didn't show that it's orange or red, but you're saying there was a lot, and I believe you. Uh, there, I know that there's places where this map doesn't indicate that those populations are high. And, and some people are gonna say, well, we had a cold uh, winter and we had a lot of snow. And my, my answer to that is that grasshoppers have been around way longer than we have, and they're used to Montana winters and snowpack and snow cover. 
are really just an insulator for the soil. They, they don't let that cold get down to the soil and a lot of soil cover. And uh, so if there was any of that, then uh, I, I don't think you should expect that the winter had a significant impact on the eggs because they're pretty tough. And uh, the trick is really to get out there in the spring and June and to monitor what's happening early so that you, you know you don't wait until the grasshoppers are adults and flying and playing eggs again that you want to manage them yet. You do it in a timely manner and not wait until it's it's too late. And once they're laying eggs, it, in my opinion, it, it's pretty tough to manage them at that point. Well, very important information. Stay with us, friends. We'll be back with Gary Adams right after this. Join the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. NCBA is the oldest and largest national cattle industry organization working to defend your interests in Washington, D.C. And there are big benefits to being a member. You'll get news you can use in the National Cattlemen, email updates in the NCBA Beef Bulletin, plus big discounts only for NCBA members. Join by calling 866-233-3872 or online at ncba.org. Now, obviously, uh, forecasts uh, for the rest of the summer, some forecasters are saying that the weather could could heat up and our moisture could also go away with that. And we've had such a wet spring so far this year. Uh, in the past, the longer that this cooler, wet season during spring is, could that have a bigger impact when the hot, dry weather comes here in the in the, in the next few months and the in in the cause and the impact that'll have on that rangeland and the grasshoppers coming out because obviously they would just stay dormant a little longer I, I, it, that's what i'm assuming could we see quite an impact on those rangeland conditions if if this spring kind of delays the hatch well that's kind of what happened in 2019 is that the hatch was delayed there was a lot of moisture uh, the grass growth was was significant uh, when the grasshoppers did a hatch late uh, they were less noticeable because there was enough forage to share between the cattle and the, and the wildlife and the grasshoppers. So there wasn't a lot of uh, treatments that occurred and therefore they all flourished and uh, laid a lot of eggs. And then the following year when there was significant drought, then, then we had, you know, the real explosion of grasshoppers in 2020. So that could happen uh, if, if the continued spring moisture uh, continues after the grasshoppers hatch, uh, there is potential for that to be a, a good situation where fungal growth and diseases that move naturally through the grasshopper population uh, could do that and it'll eventually uh, you know, have a natural crash in the population. We humans are not gonna uh, control things on a large basis. We're gonna manage maybe some forage on a, on a localized basis, but mother nature is really gonna have to take care of it. So moisture, and heat later after the hatch of the grasshoppers could really impact the, you know, the population. But that uh, that remains to be seen. We'll only know that happens when it happens. And I wish I could do a better prediction of that, but I simply can't. <laughs> well, and, and with that though, you, you talked about there in 2019, there 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 was a lot of grass at, at, at that point during during part of that growing season. So we didn't see a lot. There wasn't a lot of treatment. And some of our our viewers and listeners may be wondering. Uh, how do we treat uh, it? it um, what, what does that process look like, especially when we're working with USDA APHIS or wanting to go out and, and do an application by yourself? Uh, when is the best time? Uh, is there funding available to, to do these treatments? Who do we reach out to? Is it too late? Is it too early? Uh, could, could you walk us through that, Gary? 
Well, I'll tell you a little bit about the USDA program. And it's a cooperative program with the landowners. And, and the, the funding in, in the past was uh, sufficient enough to do some treatments. Last year, we didn't do anything because uh, limited funding. This year, there's a little bit of, of funding. Uh, we don't know exactly how much, but it's, it's really distributed throughout the entire Western U US and Montana being kind of uh, farther north and a little bit later as grasshoppers emerge, uh, it's kind of hard to tell what's going to remain when it comes time to do some treatment, but there is some funding available. It's a, again, our treatment is very specific, uh, so we do encourage others to take action on their own if necessary. And, and if you go back to the Dust Bowl era, when an individual farmer, I don't know if you saw some old pictures of little spreaders and they're trying to spread out arsenic and and uh, you know they might kill a few grasshoppers with you know, throwing stuff out by hand and then they just get reinfested. It was determined that the federal government could play a role when requested to coordinate large uh, areas of treatment to prevent reinfestation so that if it's big enough that the, the treatment will will sustain that suppression activity and not just get reinfested. So if, if there's an area of primarily rangelands, so it's only a rangeland program, of 10,000 acres or more that you should just call me and uh, we'll put my contact information up here at the end or you can share it. And we'll, and we'll try to have a meeting or discussion with you and your landowners to your neighbors to try to uh, figure out if the program is gonna work for you. And if, and if the funding's available and we can get a program together, and it, and it meets with the requirements, then uh, we will pay one third of the total cost of the treatment of private acres. If the federal land managing agency, if they're, you know, if you have a federal land that's involved there, uh, if they also request us and there's funding available, we, we cover that on behalf of that, that, that land managing agency. So, uh, that that's up to them to ask us. So we don't we don't do anything unless we're asked. I know there's some concerns out, out there about us treating over areas, and, uh, and that that was private land. But we wouldn't we wouldn't treat anywhere where there isn't uh, a request to treat. It has to meet within the requirements. We deal with the Endangered Species Act. Uh, we have environmental assessments that are that have just been completed uh, that about the different treatment types. But what we with APHIS like to do is to treat. Uh, using diflubenzron, which is a certain type of pesticide that prevents, remember when I talked about the life stages of grasshoppers, it prevents, uh, when it goes from one life stage to another, it prevents the formation of that exoskeleton. So it's very specific to uh, arthropods with grasshoppers, and you think of the exoskeleton, it's very specific to things that, that eat it. So uh, adult honeybees uh, are, are generally not even affected by it because they're not gonna shed their exoskeleton anymore. So we, uh, we try to use only that pesticide to the extent possible. And, uh, and that requires us to treat early, which is before the 4th of July. So uh, 4th of July is kind of pushing it in Montana, depending on the weather. If it's a cool spring, it might go a little beyond that. But uh, really from mid-June through the 4th of July, that three-week period is really the time where uh, diflubenzron really is uh, is going to work because you want to get them when the grasshoppers are still uh, going to go through other life stages and and then die because they don't make their exoskeleton anymore. So there, the what it does is it prevents chitin, which is what makes their exoskeletons hard. And birds don't have chitin, people don't have chitin, fish don't have chitin, cows don't have chitin. So it's it's pretty environmentally friendly. 
Uh, other arthropods could be affected by it. Uh, but what we do to mitigate the risk of that is we only treat every other swath. They don't blanket treat anymore like we used to. So what that does is leave about half of the area untreated and your rely on the grasshoppers and move back and forth in the environment uh, into a treated swath. That's why you gotta get it early so they have time to get there before they're an adult. And, and really all we're trying to do is suppress those numbers because grasshoppers are an important part of the ecosystem. Uh, other, other organisms rely on them, birds. And so we just suppress them down to the where they're not gonna eat you out of house and home and, and keep them, you know, we wanna keep them out there. We're not eradicating them. I know there's people who like to see all grasshoppers go away, but that's not our intent. That's not the, that's not what our, you know, our, our, what we're trying to do. So we suppress them then we use the rats as reduced agent area treatments, which means we skip the swaths. We use diphlobenzron. Uh, we try to get it done in June. I think those are your questions. Uh, the, the question to your landowners is uh, get out there and scout early. Uh, again, anytime starting in, uh, in, in, in late May, but because it's kind of a cooler spring this year, I would say start looking in June. And if you go out one day and you don't see much, go out a week again later because they continue to hatch over time. And they don't all hatch on the same day and you may miss them. So. We, early scouting is the main thing. If you think that you have enough uh, grasshoppers that might warrant treatment, uh, do that. Or, or if you think you have neighbors and enough land, arranged land that you think it's effective to, to meet our program objectives, we have to uh, plan for that early. We have to get maps together. We have to get cooperative agreements in place to make sure that we get reimbursed because we'll, we'll pay for it all up front, but then we're reimbursed for the final cost, which is maybe $2 an acre. Um, but there's a lot of hoops to jump through. Uh, I have a meeting uh, soon. Uh, this may air after the meeting, but uh, in Malta uh, with a group there, we will be down on uh, talking to the Crow tribe. We work with some uh, with the tribe over in the Flathead Reservation and Sanders and Lake County here recently to talk to landowners over there. Uh, so anybody that that is interested, you know, we, we want to talk now, not not after the, the grasshoppers are stage. Uh, the county agent is helping us over in Sydney. There's some people interested over there. So we got a lot of, a lot of little things going on, but nothing, nothing firm right now. We got to wait until we get out there and survey and make sure that there's a need. We wouldn't just treat for the, just because this map says red, we would want to confirm that there's actually a need. And so if there's somebody wants us to go out and help survey, we do have some seasonal employees that will be coming on in a couple of weeks and call us and we'll We'll try to work with you to try to assess your situation. So that, that is there any other recommendations I didn't hit on there that, that maybe you want to know about? <laughs> well, we can circle back around to them. And, and, and Gary, you know, it's. Oh, sorry, I got a little bit of feedback there. I'm just gonna. T I can edit that. And Gary, you know, it's been a few years since I took an entomology class at Montana State. What grasshopper species have the biggest impact on rangeland health? Is it all of them, or is it a certain uh, a species that that really can move in and just decimate that that rangeland and, and hay fields and, and and everything in its in its path? Well, that's a great question. In, in the United States, there's actually over 400 different species of grasshoppers. In Montana, there's really only a dozen species, so 12, that that would that really reach populations where they're impactful with the rangeland. And the primary species are in the western Montana, it's called the clear wing grasshopper. 
and they're primarily over there. They're kind of in the foothills and pasture lands of the Hot Springs area and, and other parts of the western uh, part of the state. And we have seen those uh, like down by Dillon, up by Augusta, you know, they're around, but uh, where they're bad, they're really bad, but they're fairly localized. Uh, all that stuff that's in the eastern part of the state I would say 80 to 90% of that is one species, and it's called the lesser migratory grasshoppers, uh, Melanopholis sanguinipes. Uh, there is a complex of the other economic species that add to that. Uh, there's a few uh, species that are actually beneficial. There's a snakeweed grasshopper, but they never, you know, they never really reach economic populations, but but they're out there and they feed only on snakeweed. The big flashy ones that look like a butterfly when they're flying around, I wouldn't worry about those. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not an economic uh, issue. Uh, but but for the most part, and this is where it makes it challenging, is that in eastern Montana, that my, lesser migratory grasshopper is a predominant species. And I talked to a lady at a Winifred a couple of years ago who said, I, I treated, and they did this all on their own. We didn't do any treatments in that county at all. Uh, she said, I treated, and then a week later, I was completely infested again, and then I treated, uh, and I was infested again. And uh, that can happen. Uh, that that's a unique situation. But they, the migratory grasshoppers, call that for a reason. They can fly long distances, and so you you don't know where they flew and laid eggs from last year. We may have counted a bunch. They may have picked up in mass and moved someplace else and dropped out of the sky and laid eggs, and we don't necessarily know what that is. The National Weather Service has actually picked up swarms of those grasshoppers on radar, and it looks like. Uh, a cloud or a rain, a rain mm -hmm. event. It's actually grasshoppers. So the so it's really just a couple of species that are really really bad and they're really kind of hard to predict. And Gary, kind of on a different note, I mean we've been going through drought. I mean Phillips County, my family uh, raises livestock up there as well, and and it's been four or five years of just severe drought. And uh, from your perspective on, on the plant health end of things. What what are some things producers should be aware of and watching for rangeland health as, as we see drought continue just to impact the 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 uh, our grasses, uh, invasive species, uh, our, our soil moisture? Uh, what are some conversations you have there? Maybe uh, resources you can point a producer just to be aware of just how drought is just not impacting growth of our grasses, but just other issues that might pop up along the way. You know, my, my specialty is pretty restricted to uh, grasshoppers, unfortunately, so I don't have a lot of information for you. Uh, but you said two things that I do want to address. One is invasive species, which is really what my agency primarily works with. And I would love to talk about that in detail, too. As you can tell, I, I don't have any problem still in time. But uh, Invasive species, things that come from another part of the world and it gets established here are trying to prevent uh, invasive species from coming in. We want to be on an early monitoring of that. And primarily in, in Montana, it's, of course, it's weeds. And, uh, you know, we work with the, with the weed districts and and uh, try to prevent any kind of, any anytime that the soil is disruptive or the rangelands disruptive, that kind of creates an environment for these invasive plants to, to get introduced. So that that that's maybe a whole different discussion. But if you want to talk about rangeland health, I, I guess I would probably just have to refer you to the Natural Resource Conservation Service or NRCS. I think they're probably better suited providing a lot of that information on on how to you know manage your your, your grazing habits and 
and it, it's been tough. I, I didn't realize you were from Phillips County, but I saw that a couple of years ago where uh, it ate all the all the the shelter belts up there, the grasshoppers. Ate. I don't know if it killed them or not. I haven't been back up there. I'll be up there tomorrow. But uh, uh, yeah, they were they were hugely impactful, and and grasshoppers is just one part of that. You know, you need moisture. Uh, hopefully, and here I'm just saying, hopefully, hopefully that the the productivity of the rangeland was so tough, and I apologize in advance for saying it this way, but it was so tough on the ranchers that it was hopefully very difficult for the grasshoppers too. If they didn't get the proper nutrition, it's possible that their populations will also decline along with the, you know, with other things on the environment out there. So that's my hope. But as far as rangeland management, that's not my forte. I'd have to refer you to one of my sister agencies on that one because. <laughs> some better advice or MSU has some good people that help you with that. No, no doubt. A lot of, a lot of good protein was in some of that hay though, with, with how many grasshoppers probably got bailed up across the country there, Gary, as well. Uh, that, that was a joke. We all, all had, that was probably about the only protein that we were able, if, yeah. if we were able to put a hay crop up last year. Yeah, um, you, you didn't have to add any, any meat meal to it, did you? <laughs> no. You know, uh, you know we, we did see on that, uh, on that graph you shared as well, uh, parts of uh, Wyoming there and into Idaho. Uh, what, 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 what is the state uh, in predictions for, uh, grasshopper infestations in our surrounding states and maybe we could focus on on wyoming if you have that information handy or your colleagues there what what, what could our, our our producers in the surrounding states uh, around montana expect to see this year if, if you have that information available well, well i do i'm in pretty close contact with my wyoming counterpart down there and they don't expect to do any usda treatments or there might be some isolation and uh, he expects to do uh, very little. Uh, and, and Wyoming is kind of a different situation in Montana. They have, where we have county weed districts in Montana, they have county weed and pest districts. And the counties actually uh, work very closely to manage uh, some of these larger treatment areas in, in, in addition to the USDA program. So uh, it's a little broader uh, of a application of grasshopper suppression in Wyoming than, than we have in Montana. We're kind of a one-stop shop for us. And uh, so I, Wyoming says they don't expect to do any treatment. So I've already asked them, I says, if we get into treatments this year, are you going to come help? And, uh, I, don't, I don't know if we'll get them to come up and help us or not. But uh, as you can see, the Dakotas in the past have not uh, had significant populations, but it, they're, they're, they had some pretty significant populations this last year. So it's starting to move over into that that area. And as far as Idaho goes, they have some small grasshopper treatments down there, but uh, I don't know if you read about in the news, what uh, Idaho and Nevada and uh, even into Utah and Washington and occasionally their, their issue other than grasshoppers is actually Mormon crickets, which is uh, part of our program, but they're very, uh, they're kind of a different critter and they're, they're really big, as big as my thumb and uh, march in bands across roads and into towns and, and they, they sometimes make the news. But uh, but they kind of have a different issue other than grasshoppers. It seems like Montana's kind of the worst worst spot in recent years. But but we're sharing some of that love with with the Dakotas here. You can see it's moving over there. Well, again, as you mentioned, Gary, uh, for producers just to be on the outlook uh, for uh, scouting in their own pastures and fields into May into June, we'll cross our fingers this moisture keeps coming. But uh, yeah. 
Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. I, I, I really hope it does because uh, that would benefit our, our grasslands, our, our hay grounds, and, and keep our cattle uh, out on grass a lot longer. Because, that I mean, that's that's what a lot of people that, that live in town don't understand is a lot of producers, they had to ship early. They had to liquidate their herds. And like Marco Manukian's prediction up there in Phillips County, 50% of that herd went down the road. And that is the lifeline of uh of that community is agriculture uh gary any last thoughts that you would just like to share with with our listeners and our viewers here today obviously we're expecting grasshoppers again as you mentioned this year but uh any last thoughts recommendations of course your information is there on the screen for our audience that's watching this on youtube or facebook uh i'll, I'll let you have the floor well, I would, I would just say if you think that our program, as I described it, uh, could be a benefit to you, is to call me yesterday and, and let's have a conversation about it. And both my cell phone number and my landline are there. Uh, I have a very small staff. I have three professionals and a technician and then some of our CISO employees uh, in conjunction with a number of other programs that we do. And uh, so I need to I need to hear from you early. Uh, it takes quite a bit to, to put a program together. Uh, if you have uh, aerial contractors in your neck of the woods, start talking to them. They have products that they use uh, that we don't have available to us to the USDA. You can talk to them, uh, see if they could do some work for you. Those of you that have crops, um, a lot of times that's the issue is that the, the grasshoppers will move from the adjacent rangeland into your cropland and and significantly impact that crop production so i would i would say you might be out scouting or paying a, a crop consultant to look at your crop but go look adjacent to it on the rangeland and monitor what's going on there and, and maybe do some reduced agent area treatments you know out in the rangeland to keep them from moving on your crops and that'll help a little bit and, and if you have no-till settings i think uh, sometimes in the past where grasshoppers didn't emerge in tilled situations and no-till settings now that they're emerging right in the middle of some cropping fields. So be be monitoring real early. Talk to your your local contractors about treatment and and give me a ring. And uh, if there's some areas that we can, uh, if we have somebody available and you want us to come out and do some assessment or some surveys, uh, call early in June and we'll try to try to get somebody out there to take a look at it. That, I guess that's about my my last line there. This is. Uh, <laughs> We have, again, we have limited funding, so the first come, first served as far as whoever's got their ducks in a row and, and have a need or who we're going to be able to, to help this year. And it takes a lot kind of to pull it together. Well, again, for all of uh, the folks that I talk with and other parts of the nation, I always describe it, uh, the scenes that I've seen in Petroleum County, Phillips County, oh, yeah. and in Shoto County last year, I know a lot of producers around Big Sandy really got uh, wiped out on, on rangeland and, and, and their crops as well. It's almost like the book of Exodus. I think that the eighth plague, um, I, I know those were locusts, but uh, uh, <laughs> the grasshoppers, of course, it's uh, it just gives you the creepy crawlies when you see that many grasshoppers per square foot and uh, crawling on the buildings and just looks like an ocean wave. And, and that's, that's what so many producers have seen. And, uh, and we saw those on those maps, uh, but Gary, I, I appreciate you sharing these predictions. Cause again, I hope, I hope our predictions are wrong. <laughs> we, we always want the bad news to be wrong, but they are predictions. Yeah. 
you know, they're just a they're just a best guess at this point. And yeah, you know, we we also hope that they decline, and they will decline at some point. And it could be this year, but it may be uh, we may have you in it for another year or two. We'll see. Yeah, I forgot about that big sandy area. We've had some some calls from some landowners over there, so we'll be we'll be over there doing some work for sure. Yep. Well, well, again, uh, Gary Adams, safe travels as you go meet with producers here this week. And uh, uh, we'll flash that up on our screen. Again, for our listeners, I'll have uh, this contact information in the podcast description below with links uh, to information uh, to Gary and his team. But for our viewers on our social media platforms, uh, reach out to Gary Adams and his team there with USDA APHIS here in Montana. Or if you're viewing this uh, from out of state in Wyoming or, or the surrounding regions or across the West, contact your local state officials with USDA APHIS with any of those questions. Uh, Gary, I, I do appreciate you taking your time here today. Uh, uh, again, it, uh, pr producers have been impacted by these, uh, by these critters uh, for the last few years. And, uh, and uh, hopefully, like we said, the predictions are wrong, but we just want producers to be aware of what could possibly be coming down the road. Even though we have that cold winter, you mentioned we had that uh, insulation uh, on the ground, and and yeah, we've had a good spring here, but we can't let our guard down. Thanks, thanks for everything you do to get the word out. So appreciate it. Well, friends, that will do it for this uh, agriculture conversation here on the Lane Lanecast Ag Podcast in conjunction with, of course, the Western Ag Network. I'm Lane Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning into the Lanecast with Talking Ag Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Lanecast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the Lanecast.